Well, good morning, church. You've uh, hopefully been uh, blessed with Pastor Landon's preaching the last couple weeks. And uh, this this week, I'm back on, then I'm back off a week, Landon's back next week, and then I'm back on for a longer period of time. Um, and so in between Landon's preaching, I've just been praying about what do I need to share? What should I share with you that God's laid upon my heart, what's important, what matters. And it was pretty, pretty clear what I need to share with you. And it's a very simple message. I mean, it is so simple. Um, and I think uh, it was uh, Billy Graham, who basically only had one message he preached, right? It was the gospel. It was salvation. And this morning's message, I want to keep it very simple as well to share with you what's on my heart and what really matters. I want to take you back uh, a week ago, and the, uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we held its, our second annual um, leadership camp, and we had a great time. I'm going to try to get a picture up here if we can. And I'm not sure we'll get it switched over here. Uh, the picture that we have, there we go. That was our group, um, our, our group shot that we took with the campers and the counselors and everybody that was there on staff. And, uh, boy, we, we had a blast. We had a great time, as I said. Well, we closed camp uh, last Sunday then. And on that Sunday, um, I was able to rejoice with those who attended. As I said, there were quite a few. Not sure it's working. I'll let you just move it wrong. Uh, there were quite a few that, that came in, and as you look at the pictures, you can see uh, all the different groups, the huddles that they were in, the time of quiet times, the games, the prayers. Uh, there was so much that took place. Laughter, competition, uh, endless activity. There was worship. There was challenging studies in God's Word, and it was so rewarding. Now, I came home last Sunday afternoon Unpacked. Basically, I just put my, my, my duffel bag next to the washer and just threw the stuff in the washer uh, because when it was cleaned and dried, I had to repack it because I left in the very next morning, about 7 in the morning, for another camp that was at this past week. So this past week, then I spent five days um, with another group, but a little over 350 third through seventh graders, all their counselors and adults, uh, they were very passionate. They were very energetic. It's a little bit different than the juniors and seniors in high school who are sort of a little bit more laid back. Fourth and fifth graders who are basically jacked up on caffeine and sugar and camp activities, just a little bit different. Um, they had uh, everything from water slides to uh, a big field going on. And I, and I pulled in early Monday, got unloaded, went through all my meetings. I had like a two-hour gap. And I thought, I can take a nap before the kids show up and I start going. I was so excited. And then all of a sudden, I just... Burn, 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 and there was a marching band there, band camp. Yeah, there was no napping going on. That was not going to happen. So I got sort of uh, fired up for this fall football season with the marching band being there all week and all these kids. Um, now, I want to show you something. There's a thing called the blob. And I'm not sure if we can, uh, we can go into this. But this is what happens. Somebody basically jumps onto the thing called the blob. Their weight sort of transports the lighter person into the air and into the water. Now, this is a lot of fun. Um, 
depending on who you are, okay? Because this next uh, one we have is it didn't turn out so well. Um, I, I walked up and I was like, oh, this, this is great. They're doing the blob. And, and this young lady, she just kept going and going and going. And um, there, there's good news. She's okay. Okay. I've, after she hit the water, the lifeguards were like, are you okay? And everybody's, she's like, yeah, I think. Um, from then on, they just double-checked the weight limit. There should be like 100 pounds minimum weight difference between the two. Not sure what the weight difference was there. At the very end, uh, she sort of swims off there. And I told Dan, I said, it's all good. She swam away. And he goes, I didn't see that. Um, it could have been the current pulling her away. Um, but anyway, it was a, it was a blast. Um, both camps and situations. And at that particular camp, we have... Um, small glimpses, in my opinion, descriptions of heaven. To see all these campers come together um, in, the, in both camps, there was times of joy and laughter. There was incredible singing going on. Um, there, was, there was no peer, uh, tears. There was no pain. Uh, there was just all this singing and crying out to God and, and, and fun. Um, hands lifted up, heads bowed. Uh, the food, both camp, buffet food. I mean, just eat as much as you want. Swimming, playing, just acting silly. I've not seen that many smiles in a long time. And I truly sat back last week at the camp I was at, just thinking of the week before and this week, and I just sat there and thought, it's like a glimpse of heaven. These kids are having so much fun. And they're worshiping God and they're hearing truth. And it's like, is that what it's going to be like in heaven, God? Where we're going to have so much fun and enjoyment and, and and, you know, you're not going to go hungry and there's no tears and there's no crying and, and we're going to be worshiping. Is that what heaven's going to be like? And then you come back to Wasyan and there's another event going on, homecoming. So for those of you a part of, you know, Wasyan or, or whether it was Delta and the Chicken Fest or Fayette and the Bull Thistle or whatever it may be, everybody has their homecoming. It's a time when a town gathers together. They have parades. They have fun. They have festivities. There's, there's singing, and you're reuniting with family and friends, and it's, it's a great time. Yesterday, we went over and watched the alumni baseball game, and it was just so fun. The announcer and, and, and the guys out on the field having too much fun, Lupe talking too much, but it was all good. It was a really good time, a joyful time. And so it's events like that that I think about, that I have to imagine, why would anybody want to miss it? I mean, if you had an invitation to go to camp, or you've got tickets to go to an event like that, or you want to go to homecoming, you get invited, why would you say no? Why would you not want to be a part of that? And, but unfortunately, the day before we got to our first camp, we had a couple campers call in that day before saying they were not able to come anymore. One girl broke her leg, and so she wasn't going to come because she wasn't coming. Her friend said, well, I'm not going to come now. So she didn't come. We had one camper the very day of say, I, I don't want to come. Too anxious, too nervous, fearful of leaving home, whatever it may have been. The complications, the anxiety, the fear, I don't know. But I sit there and think, how would you, how would you miss out? Why would you want to miss out? This could be so incredible, Right? But I think we all have those moments where we're like maybe a little fearful, right? But here's the thing. We don't want to miss out. We don't want anyone to miss out. When I think of heaven, that should be our attitude. I do not want to miss out on heaven. 
I do not want my friends to miss out on I don't want my family to miss out on heaven. I do not want them to miss what awaits them. And the good news is that God feels the same way about you in eternity. See, when life comes to an end, and we know it will, none of us are excluded here, none of us are exempt from death, one day we will all exit life as we know it here. It's the grim reality of it all, right? And your destination after death is is your choice now. It's your choice right now. After you die, you don't get to choose. Some people think like, well, after I die, I can make the choice. After you die, it's too late. You already made your choice. Your choice is made now, here on earth. And your destination of your choice is heaven or hell. That's it. There's no third place, fourth place, fifth place, whatever. That's it. And according to God's word, which we know to, uh, and we believe to be true and accurate without error, We understand that there are two eternal destinations, heaven and hell. Either you're in the presence of God in heaven, or you are separated from the God of this universe and in a very dark and nasty place called hell. There is no partying going on there. Gnashing of teeth, as it's described in the Bible. Eternal pit of fire, as it's described in the Bible. And I said is, the good news is, is that God doesn't want anyone to miss out on heaven. God's sitting there saying, this could be the best homecoming ever. When you, the homecoming in your town, oh, I'm sure you're enjoying it. My homecoming is going to be awesome. When you get into my presence in heaven, there will be much celebration and joy and worship. Smiles beyond smiles. No more pain, no more crying. And that's the good news, and God doesn't want us to miss any of it. 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord isn't really slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. Did you hear that? Peter says this, God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But He wants everyone to repent. There's a lot of people think that God hates them, that God sends people to hell. No, we send ourselves to hell by rejecting God. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And for people who are out there pointing out that God's a mean, nasty guy that sends people to hell, they do not know the truth. They probably pulled up some little fabricated lie off of social media somewhere and they spread it around as if it's the gospel truth, and it's not the truth. The truth is God doesn't want anyone to perish. Listen, we are not accidents of nature. We did not begin in this pond of ooze and the results of maybe of a universal bang, and we did not evolve from apes, we were created with purpose. It was no accident. We do not exist to live for self-gain. You were not put on this earth just to see how much money you can make and how big of a job you can have and and how far up on the chain you can go. It's not for self-gain that we're here on this planet. We were born with purpose by one God in order to find fulfillment in a relationship with Him. That's why we're here. God created you. Open up your Bibles, would you please, to the book of Psalm, chapter 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a beautiful passage. And what God has to say to us about how He created us in verses 13, we'll pick up right there. Psalm 139. Verse 13, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand and we will bring one to you. 
Dave can look around and see if any hands go up there. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. Let's pick this up in verse 13. And it says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I was just thinking about this. Um, we've got a couple babies in here and a newborn. A Tiarinas, congratulations. Look at these babies. Look how beautiful they are. <laughs> wonderfully complex they are. And don't we marvel at them? We just we see these babies, these children, we just grab them and but my wife usually gets them first, but um, and holds them and just looks at them and just says, Wow, how did God come up with this, right? And you look at the scripture here. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, before these babies were born, God was watching it happen. He was making it happen. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Let's read verse 17 because 17 and 18 are two of my favorite verses. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you're still with me. When you wake up tomorrow morning, God is with you. When you wake up next morning, God is with you. Next time you go to a beach, a lake, a pond, and you see this sand, or you've got a sandbox in your backyard, go out and just start trying to count the grains of sand. You can't. And the psalmist says, his thoughts, God's thoughts, outnumber the grains of sand about you. Isn't that amazing? God loves you. He knew us before we were born. He knows all this. And God is, what I'm saying is, he's not absent from your life. You may doubt it sometimes, like, well, where's God at? He's there. This is the God who created you, who loves you. He's not absent from your life, but he's drawn you to him. He wants you to have a new life. He wants to start a new life with you. And he does this because God wants to have a personal relationship with you. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. In your Bibles, the book of John, chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus said this. This is the way to have eternal life. Now think about this. This is Jesus. He's praying to his heavenly Father. And as Jesus is saying this... He's letting us know, how can we have eternal life? This is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the one, the only true God. And Jesus is the, Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. A personal relationship with the God of this universe. It's sort of mind-boggling, isn't it? Because sometimes we think God is like this force out there. For all you Star Wars fans, you know, we think he's a cosmic force, right? No, that's not God. He's not some unspeaking idol that we sit on a, maybe a, I don't know, a coffee table or a special platform and we look at that out. That's not God. God is not another name for self-esteem to fire ourselves up to motivate us. God is our creator who created us to be in a relationship with him. Listen, God created us to be in relationship with him. Why? Because let's be inquisitive about this. Let's ask the tough questions, okay? Why does God want me in a relationship with him? 
Let me answer that real quick. Three simple words. God loves you. Maybe that helps answer it. Does it need to be more difficult than that? No, but we like to complicate things. Don't we? Well, there's got to be a bigger answer than that, right? I mean, why would God want to be in a relationship with me? Because he loves you. That's it. He loves you. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved what? The world. God so loved the world, all of us, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's so simple, right? It's unconditional. You do not have to earn God's love. Gentlemen, when you first started dating, you almost had to try to earn that girl's love. You had to maybe dress up. You actually had to take a shower and comb your hair or something, right? You had to smell good, look good. Maybe you did to do some kind of stupid human trick to impress her. Or maybe tell a great story about yourself. Maybe you did something to woo her. That's an old word, okay? But in one way or another, you tried to grab her attention to earn her love and do things for her. And ladies, maybe you did the same thing. But with God, no. It's unconditional. You do not have to earn his love. He gives it freely to you. Because God loves us, we can surrender our life over to God. Think about this. Because God loves you, you can surrender your life to him. When you surrender, when you trust God, you're trusting the one who did what? Created you, remember? Think about this. He created you. He knows how you work. He loves you. Do you think you can trust him? Absolutely. Absolutely. But unfortunately, here's the bad news. Our sin keeps us from having a relationship with God. We live in a world where most people believe that each person, just go ahead and decide whatever you think is right, is right. Whatever you think is good for you, is good for you. Okay? Whatever is true for you, is true for you. Whether it's movies, Hollywood, TV, whatever it may be, social media, they portray people in sinful situations and it looks like they're having a blast, right? Just, you just watch sometime. And you know what they're doing is wrong and they're making it look so right. You know what they're doing is sinful, but they look like, oh, they're having so much fun. It's, it's, it's got to be okay because, look, they're having fun. They're doing it. It's okay, right? Although... They appear to be having fun. We know what is true. And what may feel good for them right now is not good. There are consequences. For every action, every choice, there are consequences. God has set standards for what is right and what is wrong. And when we go against what is right, we face the consequence. You know, I was playing uh, this game at camp last week called Gold Rush. I don't know if you've ever played it before, but just picture like a huge like soccer type field, okay? Big, okay? It's the half, half. You've got to run from your side over to the other side into the end zone, grab the gold, one bar at a time, and run it back across and put it over in your end zone. The problem is, as soon as you cross over midfield, anybody on that side can tag you, and you are now frozen, and you have to go to jail, or you just basically sit down until somebody frees you. So here's all these third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, a bunch of college students playing Gold Rush. I strap on. I'm ready to go. I'm going to play this game with them. Okay? Here's what I discovered. At my age, I discovered that zig and zag, because you're zigging and zagging, 
I, I discovered that zig and zag are no longer part of my body function or vocabulary. I tried to zig, my body says, uh-uh. I tried to zag, my body says, are you kidding me? And I basically was front and back and have a seat, Rex. Uh, it was me, okay? It was a lot of fun. Always try to get out there and have fun with the kids, right? But as we got done after the first game, we were playing the second game. I'm walking back to my side with a bunch of kids, and this one fifth grader looked at me, and we were just talking about the game. And he looked at me, and he goes, I have to admit, I cheated just a little. I said, really? What did you do? And he told me, and he says, he goes, but it was just a little. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still a cheater. Okay? I, I, it's like, he's like, he thought he was exempt because it was just a little cheat. Okay? Here's the deal. It's amazing that when we mess up, we try to minimize sin. We try to excuse sin. And we say, well, I only took a little. Did it belong to you? No. But you took a little? Yeah. You're still a thief. Okay? You're not a little thief. You're a thief. Period. When you take something that doesn't belong to you, and it happens all the time, right? Well, it's just a piece of candy. Did that candy belong to you? No. Well, you're still a thief because it doesn't belong to you. Well, it's just a little white lie. Oh, okay. I don't care if it's a little big, white or dark. I don't even know why we call it white, okay? But we just, it's okay. It's just a little white lie. You know what? It's still a lie. You're a liar. Well, I murdered somebody. It was just a little murder. I'm sorry, but they're dead, okay? It's murder. You know, there is no minimizing sin. Whatever sin you want to pick, whatever you choose, we try to minimize it, excuse it, make it sound like it wasn't that bad. God says, here's the deal. Right, wrong. Even if it was just a little wrong, guess what side of the fence you're on? The wrong. That's sin. You know, I was looking at the targets. They're out there in archery, and we had archery at both camps. And these kids are trying, you know, they're pulling back their bow and arrows and trying to shoot these arrows right at the bullseye. And they kept missing. I mean, one girl, she, I mean, I felt bad for her. She could barely pull back the bow and she, bing, you know, it seriously just went like, a foot right in front of her, and I just felt so bad for her. And the guy in charge of archery came over and helped her out a little bit more, and she got it further, and she never hit the target. And then I saw this other boy. He's a little bit stronger, a sixth grader, and he pulled it back, and he missed the bullseye just, you know, a few inches. Regardless of whether it drops 15 feet away from the target or three inches away from the target, you missed the bullseye. That's what sin means. Sin, the word sin means missing the mark. When we sin, we're missing God's glorious standard for how we should live. When we sin, we're over here and not where he's called us. James 4.17 says this, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. James says, hey, when you know you're supposed to do something and you don't do it, guess what that's called? Sin. And it's not just doing the things that we know we're not supposed to do, Right? Even if we know we're supposed to do it and we don't do it, that's sin. 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who sin is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. We need to understand this. God is holy. God is perfect. He has this incredible, glorious standard. And when we miss it, we miss it. And that sin separates us from God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. It's a small book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, I shouldn't say that small. It's got quite a few chapters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you've got 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. This would be a good one to preach on sometime, but we're just going to 
touch it briefly here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll start reading verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Listen to this. Paul gets, a, gets really strong here. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. Period. I know some people are like, well, what, what, what is that it? Was that the list? No, there's, there's more. He just sort of got on a roll here and started listening. Listen, all those things that he just listed are missing the mark. All those things listed are missing the mark. That's not God's glorious standard, not one of those things. And when you live outside that mark, God says, ah, you're, you missed it. You missed it. That sin creates this barrier between us and God. And as I said, so, so who has sinned, right? Romans 3.23 makes it very clear. For we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's like we all step up and we pull back that bow and arrow and we go to release and we miss. None of us can be perfect with God. Not one of us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Sin creates spiritual death. Because God's perfect, he can't have anything to do with us because we're sinners. He wants to have that personal relationship with us, but he can't because of sin. And that sin separates us from God and won't allow us to be in the presence of God. But here's the good news. Here's the good news that we can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So God wants to have this relationship with us. Sin separates us. But Jesus says, I'm coming here and I'm going to bridge this gap. He says, I'm going to show you the way to eternal life. John 14, 6, Jesus even said, he goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through me. A lot of people say, well, there's a lot of different ways to get to God. No. Sorry. Well, you're sort of, I don't know, narrow-minded. No, I'm biblically minded. That is the gospel truth. That is God's word. I'm not being opinionated. I'm not being narrow-minded. I'm being truthful with you. I'm sorry, but if you had something going on in your life, you cut your arm, it's bleeding out. And you look at me and you say, what's wrong with me? I say, you're bleeding out of your arm. Oh, you're so narrow-minded. All you can do is just picture on the negative. I'm telling you the truth. You're bleeding right now, okay? And we think that's a ridiculous illustration, right? But when we tell people there's only one way to heaven, they look at us and say, oh, no, there's so many other ways. you just got to be open-minded. No, I want to be honest, obedient, and adherent to the truth. That's the truth. God decided to deal with our sin, the sin that separates us from him. Sin leads to death. In the Old Testament, people would sacrifice animals. You go back to Old Testament and read, they sacrificed animals to show how sorry they were for their sins. And that was only temporary. 
Because God's plan was then to send his own son, Jesus Christ, to be the ultimate sacrifice. A perfect human being. The ultimate sacrifice. And once he was sacrificed his life, and he did on the cross, and he was buried, praise God he resurrected from the dead. Amen? And he is alive. The ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 5, 8-9. Turn there with me. It's another great. You're in 1 Corinthians. Just keep heading towards the back of the Bible. And you get past those small ones. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You come eventually to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 8. It says in Hebrews 5, verse 8, So even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. In this way, God qualified Him as a perfect high priest. He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey Him. He is the eternal source, the only source for our salvation. So we ask, well, why did Jesus have to die? Because he's the source of our salvation. First Peter 3.18 says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Isn't that incredible? He died to bring you and I safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. When Jesus died to take the penalty... He took the penalty of our sins that we deserved. He took our punishment so we wouldn't have to. I don't know if there's any kids in here that's gotten a spanking lately, but if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I was going to get one the other night, but my dad stepped in and said, go ahead and spank me instead. So I just sat back and I watched my dad get spanked. Oh, man, he got it bad. I don't think there's any kid in here that's ever witnessed that. My guess is if you got a spanking, you got the spanking, right? Because you deserve the punishment. But what God says is, you deserve the punishment. My son, Jesus, is going to step in and take it for you. So that you don't have to. He became that substitute. Now because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, there's a way now prepared for us to have a relationship with a holy God. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead which is a promise to us that we someday will rise from the dead as well to be in heaven in his presence. Now, if you didn't read the prayer email, emails a week ago, you might not have seen that Joan Zeem's um, son, Brock, his fiancée, Sarah, um, she had a C-section a couple weeks ago giving birth to their newborn daughter, Eden. And in the process of the C-section, there were some complications and she had to be life-flighted to St. V's. I don't know if you saw this email or not. The incredible thing is this actually made the uh, Channel 11 news and then went out from there across uh, the United States. It's amazing. When she got to St. V's, um, she had lost so much blood and was continuing to bleed out that they had to use uh, over 70 units of blood to save her. 70 units of blood which equals to 94 people giving of their blood. So when you go to Red Cross and you give blood, it took 94 people to save her. 
Now, um, Joan said that she came home yesterday and she's doing well. You're very exhausted. I know she's very exhausted. We need to continue to pray for Sarah and her family. But I was thinking about this, the incredible work and sacrifice done to save her. Just think about this. She could not survive on her own. She needed 94 people to give their blood for her to live. I want you to think about this. In the same way, the shedding of blood of one, not 94, one, Jesus Christ, saves all of us. All of us, just one. A sacrifice on the cross for all mankind saved us. What an incredible gift. One God, one passion for us, one Savior. And it comes down to our choice. Because see, church, this is where we must respond. Either we respond by doing nothing or doing something. And I'm going to tell you right now, to do nothing, that's your response. To not choose, well, I don't want to make my decision right now. You just chose hell. Sorry. You want me to be honest with you? Or do you want me to be a smiley pastor up here that's all good, it's all good, love God? I'm not that guy, okay? Sorry. Turn, tune into somewhere else for that one, okay? Because I do love you, I will tell you the truth. Because I care about this church, I will tell you the truth. The truth is, you and I are responsible for our own choices. Not a family member. Nobody else. You get to respond. To do nothing is to say no to God. To do something is to say yes to God. To believe that Jesus lived, but not as a Savior, that means nothing. You can sit in this, in this church, any church, and say, Oh, I believe that Jesus, I believe he was real. Good for you. What else? We can all believe that Jesus was a historical figure. James said in James 2.19, You say you have faith because you believe there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe that, but they shudder. Oh, so I'm in the same belief system as the demons? Yeah, they believe that there's one God. They believe that there's Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? They're scared of him. They fear him because he is God. And for us, what's our response? Well, I believe that there's Jesus Christ. Do you fear him? No. Then you're in worse shape than those guys are. We must be responsive with a first, with a belief in Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. Romans 10, 9 through 10. Open up your Bibles. This is a verse you all need to know. You need to memorize. You need to underline it. Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 9. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Simply believe. Again, sounds too simple, doesn't it? It does. Listen, this doesn't mean you won't have any more questions or that you're going to start understanding everything. It simply means that you're recognizing that indeed you're a sinner. You've missed the mark. And you need a Savior to save you. To rescue you from your sins. 
And you're never, you and I are never going to be good enough for this perfect God that we serve. But we understand that God loves us so much that he sent the one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to rescue us from those sins, to pay the price that we couldn't pay. And we are saying, I believe that. I need a Savior to save me. And God works and does this for us. Listen, your good works won't get you into heaven. Reading the Bible, going to church won't get you there either. Because then we've got to have this little measuring system like, well, how many works do I have to do to get into heaven? Well, I think the line's right here. Well, are you sure? Because I've really been doing a lot of stuff, but I'm just not quite sure where that mark is. Good works won't get you there. My grandparents, my parents, well, they went to church, they were Christians, so I'm in, right? No. Remember, it's your choice. It's your relationship with God. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I want to encourage you right now. Invite Jesus Christ into your life. Turn to God from your present way of living, whatever that might be. We call that repenting. Repenting is turning from one thing and turning to another thing. When we repent, we're turning away from this world, we're turning away from sin, and we're turning to God, and we're turning to the one who can help us. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, remember that verse that was listing all those sins that got pretty ugly? The next verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God. Now don't miss the rest of this verse. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. You were made right with God when you call out to him and you confess your sins and ask him to be the Savior of your life and to come into your life. This means the verdict of our sin has been eliminated. You were once guilty, not anymore. Judgment has been set aside and undeserved membership into God's family has been given to you. It's now a change of destiny. It's an awakening of hope. It's an overcoming of spiritual death. Salvation turns a person toward heaven and inaugurates them into a life of discipleship of Jesus Christ. Pastor Landon is our discipleship pastor. We've talked about this over the last few months. His, his job and our passion for him is to make sure he takes those of you who's like, you know what, I really want to grow my faith and develop a discipleship program to help this church grow. And not just sit here, but to grow in our faith with him. And why do I preach this message to you this morning? Because we've got a thing called a backyard bash coming up. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ. They need to know Jesus Christ. And it starts with us as a church making sure we've got it right with him first. We need to know that there's a God who loves us. Sin separates us. Jesus Christ came to save us. Now it's my decision, my choice to respond and say, I believe. A lot of people have not believed yet. A lot of people have not believed that. And some of us are like, well, I don't want to judge others. I mean, let God do the judging, right? But if they don't change, their eternal destination is already decided. You don't want to offend them because you're like, well, I love them, but I know what they're doing is wrong, but I don't want to offend them. Okay, don't offend them. Don't say anything. Guess where they're going? Listen, I would rather offend my family member and let them know that their life, their separation from God right now matters to me. I love them. I want them to be in heaven with me. I want them to worship the one and only true God. For me to sit back and say, well, I don't, I don't want to offend them. So who's going to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ? 
Did not God put you in that spot to love them? If you really do love them, shouldn't you say something? Shouldn't I say something? There's days, I, I'm not, I don't want you to feel bad, like, oh, I've blown it, I've blown it. I, I blow it every day. I walk by somebody, I had an opportunity, and it's like, I should have shared the love of Jesus with them. And I'm reminded, that's my duty. That's my calling. If, if this really matters to me, I should be really sharing that more. And the backyard bash is an easy opportunity for all of us to engage in showing the love of God to others. If we show up that night at Backyard Bash and it's only a bunch of Christians, so be it. We'll have a good time. But I hope and pray that we're inviting people who don't know Christ so they can come and see how we can show them the love of Jesus. That night, the gospel will be shared. Something like I just shared today in a smaller, condensed version. But we want people to know that there's a God who loves them and he wants to have a relationship with them. But the question is, where are you at? What decisions have you made? Worship team, would you come, please come forward? And as they're coming forward, would you please stand with me, church? I don't know where you all stand in your faith. I know where a lot of you stand. Some of you have uh, shared your faith with me and where you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've maybe been baptized. And So I know you're rock solid in your faith, but maybe there's somebody in here this morning that isn't. Maybe there's somebody in this room this morning that's like, I've never really prayed any kind of prayer. I've never asked Christ in my life. I've never asked for forgiveness. So today, maybe it's that day where you get to surrender to Jesus. And for those of you that are like, I've, I know I'm solid in my relationship with Jesus, then good. Then today is maybe the day that God's, His Spirit's sort of awakening you and saying, you need to go share that with somebody today. So this morning as we pray, you can pray either as confession, ask Christ in your life, or you can pray for the courage to go share this message. Okay? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. And God, I know this message was very simple, but it's a message that you've placed on my heart for the last two weeks. When I look at young people and I think, do they know you? Do they have a relationship with you? Because God, I don't want them dying and going to hell. I want them in heaven. And after just seeing these camps and just feel like I'm getting a glimpse of heaven, it's like, this is awesome. This is so wonderful. Why would I not want to be a part of this? And I'm so excited. It's like, I want kids to go to camp. I want them to experience this. Is my attitude the same about heaven? God, forgive me if it isn't. Because my passion should be just as great to invite somebody to a party. It should be greater to invite people to heaven, an eternal party in the presence of you, to have a relationship with you. So God, I pray for this church that we have the courage and the boldness and the strength to be excited about heaven, to be excited about eternal life with you, to invite people to be a part of that. Lord, I pray now for our backyard bash. I pray for great weather. I pray for a great opportunity. I pray for lives to be changed for eternity as a result of that event. God, I pray for the person in this room right now that doesn't know you. Because that's a tragedy. Because we don't want them left out. We want them in your presence. Just like I know I'm going to be there. My Father's there. And so many people we know are there. The saints that have gone before. Paul's there. Moses is there. Joseph is there. 
Esther is there. I think of all these men and women in the Bible. They're there. They're in your presence worshiping you. And someday I will be there too. I don't want anybody to miss out. Because God, you create us to be in relationship with you. So God, if there's somebody in this room this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that's never prayed that prayer, God, right now where we stand, let us pray a prayer of forgiveness. God, forgive us of our sins. Those things that we've done that have really separated us from you, that we've just missed the mark. We know they're wrong. and They're hurting us. They're hurting our family. We know deep down inside that it's not pleasurable. It hurts. God, forgive us of these sins, these things that have separated from you. God, take them away. Make us new. Come into our life. God, we want to call you our Savior. Thank you for saving us. But God, we also want you to be our Lord, the one we obey. And sometimes that's really hard. So God, help us to be obedient every day. And we need your spirit to help us do that. Forgive us, God. Come into our lives. God, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you for new life. Lord, we love you. We sing to you now a song of worship. In the name we pray. Amen.